Welcome to Mental Healthy, where we share the stories and expertise of professionals working diligently in the field of mental health. I'm your host today, Dr. Kenyon Knapp, and I'm really excited about the guests I have today. I need to sort of set the stage a little bit before I introduce them. About two years ago, I had the opportunity to go to India and work with a human trafficking organization that helped victims. And when I was over there, there was a doctoral student on our trip named Katie. And Katie said to me, oh, there's this great organization I need to tell you about. And she started describing the organization to me. And I said, wow, that is so cool. I need to, I need to meet these people somehow at some point in the future. And fortunate for you listeners today, that's where we are. I want to introduce to you Courtney and Yogesh Lalotra. They're the president and founder of One Life to Love. Welcome to the program today. We're glad to have you with us. Thank you, Dr. Matt. Thank you, Dr. Matt. We're so happy to be here. And I'm speaking to you today all the way from India. And so I don't do that too often on the program, but I'm grateful that technology allows us to do that. Anyway, you have an organization called One Life to Love. Could you tell the listeners about it? Sure. So One Life to Love is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 2013. I had originally come to India in 2010 after I graduated from FIT. FIT stands for the Fashion Institute of Technology, which is, I mean, one of the top, if not the top university in the world for majors relating to the fashion industries. So I obviously did not plan to start a nonprofit. I came to India with a group of fellow alumni and professors who were researching a certain textile that was manufactured in India. I had experience working in you know, other countries with people who were struggling from poverty and injustices. I worked in homeless shelters in New York City during my time studying, but I had never witnessed the kind of poverty that I saw when I landed in Delhi, India. Just to give you an idea, there's over 300,000 children living on the streets in Delhi alone. And these are children that are vulnerable to all sorts of awful things like human trafficking, child labor, abuse, drugs, violence. So when it came time to return to the States after our research, I decided to extend my trip. And I guess if I could do anything, just clear my conscience and do something that you know would make me feel like I helped a little bit. So I ended up moving into a slum in Northeast Delhi and a slum with thousands and thousands of people who work as what are called rag pickers. They dig through the garbage and they separate plastics and metals and sell them in order to make a living. So I was working in the slum in an orphanage in the middle of that slum. And I quickly built relationships with the children that I was working with and the community where I was working, it got to the point where I felt that these children, especially, they were so amazing. They had so much potential. If only someone would help them to see them for who they are, to see the potential that lies within them, but they didn't have anyone. Yes, they might have had in that orphanage a bed to sleep in and food to eat, a roof over their heads, but they didn't have anyone who truly cared, who truly loved them, would be the support system for them. So I thought, okay, I can be that support system. I'm not trained in nonprofit management or social work or counseling, but I do have a heart to serve and I have a heart to do something. I have a passion to change a life, if only one life. So I decided to 
sell all of my things in U.S. and move to India permanently. And then with that, I was ready to be a lifelong volunteer wherever I was needed, I would go. But with that, I was working in the orphanage and it became very apparent that while there were many orphanages and shelter homes for children coming in off the streets who had been abandoned or orphaned, there was not actually a single home in Delhi for children that had special needs. And unfortunately, a number of children that you know are abandoned to the streets do have special needs, whether mental or physical, as a result of you know the trauma they face or they've been abandoned by their families due to their disabilities. So it actually happened that one boy had come off the streets. He was rescued and he was a nonverbal child. And the organization where I was volunteering did not want to spend the money that it would cost to put facilities and people in place to care for such a child or any child like him. So he was sent to a state-run mental institution in, in Delhi shortly after he passed away, most likely as a result of neglect. So it was that kind of moment of realization that there was really no difference between me and that boy, except that, you know, I had the luck of being born to a loving middle-class family in New Jersey. And this child, like so many other children like him, had the misfortune of being born to a poor family in India that faced economical and cultural pressures that did not necessarily allow them to care for a child with special needs. So that's when I founded One Life to Love. I decided that I would put a house on rent and I would just begin combing the streets and rescuing children who had been abandoned, children with special needs. And our vision was always one child at a time. You know, we don't want to say we're going to rescue millions and millions of children. We want to focus on each child, just like that little boy. He mattered so much. He's so precious, but you know, he was just one child in a sea of children that were in need, and therefore he was overlooked and neglected. So our vision has always been just one child at a time. You reach that one child, you do what you can for them. And once they're settled, you move on, you bring in more. So one by one, you know, we started rescuing children off the streets, and that's how One Life to Love was formed. Wow, that's such a neat story. It just really pulls at the heartstrings. How many children do you have now with One Life to Love? So we have basically 10 boys with special needs whom we have adopted. Um, but we never wanted to like box ourselves into our vision and our plans of you know having a home for special needs children. We always wanted to be a refuge of hope in our entire community. We see ourselves as like the open arms and open doors to anyone who is in need. So through the years, One Life to Love has expanded to many other programs. For instance, after we started rescuing children, we realized there was a very large community of migrant workers. These are families who travel from the villages throughout India and neighboring countries to city centers like Delhi in search of work. And they mostly work as unskilled laborers and they're not provided accommodation or you know anything. They basically are homeless. They live on the streets. So we realized that the children of these families were just roaming the streets and they were so vulnerable, just like any other child of the streets. So we opened up the doors to our orphanage and we started a daycare center for the children of migrant families. So we have every day we care for 35 to 40 children 
providing them uniforms, education, two meals a day, you know, whatever they need. And then from there, we saw that there were girls from families, underprivileged families, who were not attending school. And we started visiting their families and their schools and finding out what the issues were. And the one issue that kept coming up was, you know, financial strains. So we decided, okay, we'll cover the financial burden of sending a girl to school. We pay for her tuition fees her uniform, books, whatever she needs. Now, because of COVID, we are providing internet packages to these girls so they can do online learning. We're providing smartphones or smart devices if they don't have them. So we basically provide whatever they need to study. And we have over 300 girls enrolled in that program. And we do so much more, you know, homeless relief. We distribute sanitary pads to women and girls that don't have access to feminine hygiene products. So when we look at the One Life to Love family, it's huge and it's growing every day. And again, our arms and our doors are always open to those that are in need. Wow. Now, this is a lot to handle, though, on your own. And at some point in this story, your husband, Yogesh, became part of the story. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about how you met and the work that Yogesh does now? So... (laughs) Like how we met again, it's all fate. Where I originally opened, I put this house on rent and began rescuing children. I was combing the streets. I also rescued a street dog. Her name is Happy. (laughs) A lot like our children, she was abandoned. Her mother, unfortunately, was hit by a car and all of her siblings had passed away. So I found Happy and, or she found me, I think. I don't know. We found each other. I used to go every morning and walk her in the nearby park near to our orphanage. And Happy was, like, very protective of me. She wouldn't, you know, let anyone come near me. But, you know, this guy comes along, (laughs) and Happy just runs to him and, you know, just jumps on him. She was so happy to see him. And I was like, does she know him from somewhere else? And lo and behold, it was Yogesh. (laughs) And so that's how it all began. And Yogesh, I would say that I had the heart and the passion and the vision to do this work. And Yogesh is the hands and feet of our organization. He gets it done. Whatever needs to happen, he knows the ins and outs of the systems here, the offices, the social sector. It's not an easy task even to get a document made or a registration. Even just to go to the market and buy rations, it's not a very easy task. It's not what I'm used to, at least, you know, growing up in New Jersey. Yogesh started out from day one, just loved the kids and welcomed them in as his own, even before we were married. So we basically had like 10 kids even before we had our own biological son. (laughs) Yogesh has studied his MPhil and he's pursuing his psychology degree. So he works with the doctors and the counselors on all of our children's cases. And he has helped us to introduce therapies in our home, in our education center for these children. We have seen our children changed in so many ways through, first of all, love, through the fact that they have a nurturing environment with us. They have acceptance and security, but also through the therapies that he has introduced. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. You know, the listeners of this program are people in the mental health fields all over America. And I'm sure they'd love to hear, like, what kinds of approaches you use, Yagesh, with the children, and maybe what are some of the issues that the children have? Yeah, so, Dr. Nam, thank you. I think a lot of issues with special needs children that we encounter here in India, a lot of them are related to prenatal conditions. 
you know, considering that there is this problem of malnutrition for would-be mothers. So the prenatal setup has a lot of issues. And I think that's one of the major cause factors. Also, I think then the second most important aspect of, you know, the whole environment is around pregnancy and then at delivery. So a lot of these kids actually come from you know, socially backward families. A lot of them really don't have the medical support that is required at the time of delivery. A lot of them actually opt for home birth, you know, and then realizing that things are not going as per planned. The hospitals are getting the C-section done, so the problems of hypoxia and, you know, a lot of other delivery-related issues also happen to these children. Then the quality of water supply, nutrition, as such plays role in terms of affecting the growth of, from the fetus to being a child. I think we work with a lot of children who have mental retardation here. We'll work with a lot of children who have the problem of autism. Also a lot of kids with other like genetic conditions like Angelman syndrome, or Red syndrome, Down syndrome. And you know, the way we implement to first assess the child and, you know, kind of bring them into a better environment. So we obviously rescue them and bring them into the home. And then with nutrition and obviously empathy and love is, I think, really, really important. So whenever we are interacting with these children, I think we keep that at the center of our focus that we have to be very, very loving and caring for these children because they're, they're so small. Trying any form of intervention with them is also like a little tricky initially. So our idea is to just give them a beautiful, loving environment and home and then kind of build from there as they grow. Of course, we do a lot of interventions like, you know, play therapy. A lot of these children come from households which, uh, you know, where they have experienced traumas like fights and violence. So our idea is to kind of assess those things by playing with the children. You know, so we use play therapy a lot. We use a lot of dance and movement therapy with these children just to cover up those lost years because a lot of them haven't had the opportunity to kind of grow like normal children. So we involve them in a lot of dance movement therapy, art therapy. I think these things work greatly with them. And also, I think one more thing that we do with these children is meditation and yoga is kind of one of the aspects that we really use here. We have a whole like team of doctors, psychologists and physiotherapists who would come and help us in preparing different interventions for these children. Thank you, Dr. Hapa. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, that sounds really neat. It sounds like a lot of the therapies you give them sort of try to give them their childhood back because they've been so focused on just survival. And now when they get to be with you, they get to play and do dance movement and things like that. That's really, really neat. I think that's like the core focus of intervention. Dance, movement therapies, art therapy, play therapy. And then, you know, meditating and doing various exercises, playing and music. So I think that really helps us. Well, you know, a lot of the listeners of this program work with people in therapeutic settings. It sounds to me like, you know, the work you all do with the school for girls with over 300 girls and the daycare for migrants, the 10 adopted boys, it sounds like the work you do is really challenging. And with that in mind, I guess, what motivates you to do this kind of work? It is challenging, but I think at the same time, it's like really, really rewarding. And, you know, it's kind of difficult to quantify the rewards per se. I would just give you an example. We have kids who are special needs and some of them are nonverbal. And for months, we interact with them, talk with them. 
after like months and months of interacting with them and inter- putting in all the interventions and therapies, maybe six months later, we get a word out of them. So that is our joy. And I think that is our reward that we get out of it. It's really amazing to, you know, hear that first word after such a long hard work. So I think my idea of it is just like it's uh, very challenging. It's highly rewarding because you can see the difference that you're making to a life in front of your own eyes. That's one thing that I really love about it. And I would just add to that in talking about rewards, that definitely changes us. And I think that one of the aspects of One Life to Love, which we've introduced in recent years, that we share these opportunities to experience these rewards with not only like our volunteers in U.S., but also our beneficiaries here in India. For instance, basically when COVID pandemic was announced, there was a lockdown that happened in India, and there were hundreds of thousands of migrant families that were stranded in Delhi without work, without food, and without anyone to turn to for help. So we ended up helping thousands of families by providing them these care packages. So we basically were getting shipments of rice and flour and everything that they needed to feed themselves for a whole week, a small family for a whole week. So we were getting these shipments and then we would have to take out five pounds of flour and five pounds of rice, this many vegetables, and then put it into a bag, pack it up and then distribute it. And so, of course, obviously our volunteers were doing it, but the children in our orphanage, you know, our boys, the special needs, they were so thrilled to be a part of this distribution. And we have photos, which if you go to our website, you'll see where we have one boy who has cerebral palsy that has affected his entire body. So he's not able to walk, but he can crawl. So we have this one photo of him crawling to the stack of care packages, grabbing one, and then crawling to the gate to distribute it to a family in need. Our boys just beaming with pride that these are children that, you know, they don't have much to give, but they gave their time and their help and their love. And we see them experience those rewards. And even in our girls' education program, the girls who we have helped to study from third, fourth, fifth grade, all the way up, they graduate high school, and now they are becoming our volunteers. They end up becoming our social workers. They find more girls in their community who are not going to school, who need help, and they bring them to us. Or they come to our orphanage, they spend time with our kids, they do an art project or teach them a dance. So it's like this culture of giving. And of course, when you give, you receive that is just spreading you know, through One Life to Love. It changes your life. I realized that early on that that is the purpose of life is to give. I'm just speaking from my personal beliefs and my personal experience. Early on when I was studying at FIT, I just knew that I wanted to do more than fashion. So I remember like praying and I'm, you know, I believe in Jesus. I follow him. I read the Bible. And I remember just feeling overwhelmingly like, wow, Jesus loves me so much. And how can I ever repay him? How can I ever you know, give back to him for the love that he gives me. And there was this one verse that stuck out to me in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, whatever you have done unto the least of these brothers of mine, you have done it unto me. And this has become my life's mission, my life's mantra (laughs) to seek out the least of these, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, who I'm surrounded by, to seek out those who are 
truly the least, the broken, and to pray and ask God for guidance and provision to meet that person's needs, whatever it might be. It could be as simple as they just need a kind word, or it could be something as extreme as she needs to be saved from child marriage and we need to get her back in school. That is what motivates me, and that is what I rest upon, I fall upon, even when the work seems overwhelming at times. Now, a minute ago, you mentioned your website and some pictures of that boy who was helping give out the food. Can you tell the listeners your website? Yes, absolutely. It's onelifetolove.org, and that's a numerical too, onelifetolove.org. Yeah, I know they might want to check that out even while they're listening right now. Now, I know too, the work you do takes a lot of volunteers and you mentioned that some of your former children that worked with you are becoming your volunteers and others. But I think I read on your website, too, that sometimes you work with colleges or other organizations and learning trips people have to come to India. Could you tell the listeners about that a little bit? So we have these programs that we have developed with certain universities and schools in U.S. I have this organization called Inspire Tours. So it's actually IND, it's inspired with a D in it, which means basically means that it's inspired by India. So we work with professors to develop programs which are kind of part internship and part travel oriented programs. And these programs are made a part of the curriculum. And, uh, you know, there's a class which is done before the students actually arrive into India. So we work with the various schools, you know, depending on their interests and the learning opportunities that are here in India. Most of the time we work with schools of psychology, I think is one of the major schools that we work with. We also work with fashion schools and schools of communication, political science, history, and we just start working with like a school of architecture because in all these fields and aspects, there's a huge amount of opportunity to kind of share and learn because there's like an obvious difference in approaches, like the classical difference between the Orient and the West. And I think these differences are something that we can learn from. They're very prominent in the fields of psychology, fashion or architecture. And there are a lot of commonalities. And that's what we do in these tours. We get the students along with the professors and the teaching staff. And they come into India after they already gone through a classroom-based curriculum in U.S. And then they arrive in India and uh, they have the first-hand exposure to, you know, whether it's like how is psychology different in India? What is the core concept behind existentialism or how does the dharmic kind of religions like Buddhism and Hinduism have an influence on psychology or psychotherapies to the people who need it. And it's the same with fashion, it's the same with communications. People come, history communications are really good groups also because, uh, you know, you can, there's like a huge, I think it's one of the biggest democracies and like the way India votes and it's a really huge exercise that is done here. So, you know, for students of political science, something really amazing to kind of, see because we have like multiple layers of democracy going down to every village where it's like it basically boils down to the last five people so i think that's very interesting and also architecture and fashion so there's like a lot of rich background in india which i think students in u.s can really come here and understand and you know expose themselves to something different from what they'll probably find in u.s or europe or you know most of the western world I think it's something that they should really expose themselves 
We also offer independent group tours and volunteering opportunities with One Life to Love. So, you know, most of the time what happens is all our groups that come to India from these universities actually have like a or subject orientation like psychology, fashion, architecture, but they also have like an you know, orientation towards some kind of service and education. So what we do is we get these students into India and most of these groups actually have good period of time that they spend at One Life to Love interact with the children and see the whole concept of like social work that happens here and I think they can find their own inspiration in their own field you know looking at these children and looking at how this work is done or you know we do a lot of uh, independent group tours so a lot of these students who come to India they actually go back and then they want to come again and maybe you know explore another aspect or you know go deeper into one subject that they really liked and that's something great for the students to take away from these stores. I certainly agree with you, Yogesh. When I went to India two years ago, it was different from any other place I've been around the world. And it was a great learning experience. And it certainly is a wonderful place with lots of really neat things there. In the last few minutes of our podcast, I just have a few more questions for you. Courtney, could you tell us a little bit more about your future goals and vision for One Life to Love? Absolutely. Thank you so much for asking. I think after this COVID-19 pandemic, one of the things that we realized is that nonprofits need to find sustainable solutions. And we've always had this vision of having a campus you know, a facility that would be the center for all of our work. Right now, we run out of rented buildings, which is fine. We're very grateful for the spaces that we have, but it does limit us to the effect that we can have in our community. So we aim to build a campus in India that would be the center for all of our projects. And it would also enable us to eventually become financially sustainable in the future. And we're so lucky that we have this Architects Without Frontiers. It's a Australian-based organization that it's basically like your Doctors Without Borders, but these are architects who donate their time and their talents to various causes. So they have taken on this project. They believe in our vision to build this campus, and they are helping us to design the entire campus. And once we raise enough funds, to purchase the land and the building materials and all of that, they will help us to construct the facility as well. So we are just super excited about it, but we are also in need of people who believe in it, who share the passion and the heart that we do to create long-lasting change in, in India, to come alongside us and join us in this effort to donate their time, their talents, share with their network, whatever they could possibly do to help us in this. So we're always looking for people to volunteer. We're also opening up two new board positions. So we're always looking for people that want to join us and come alongside us in this work. And that's something that if any of your listeners are interested in, they could always reach out to me personally, email me or get in touch with me through our website. Absolutely. I don't see how anyone listening could not be inspired and just want to help in some way. If it's professors listening, the opportunity to take a trip over to India and work with Inspire Tours or to work with One Life to Love, it's just such a neat organization and really different from any other organization I've ever heard of. That does lead into the last question. You've touched on it a little bit here, Courtney. What are some of the ways people can support you 
So you can always donate to our website or our Facebook, Instagram. You can follow us on social media. Again, if you want to volunteer, you want to come to India, you want to intern with us, there are really so many opportunities to help. But of course, every nonprofit piece donations, you can do that right on our website. Again, onelifetolove.org. You can get my contact information from there as well. Email me if someone wanted to come to India, even, as you said, professors and students who might be interested in organizing an educational tour. Yogesh, you can get in touch with him, inspiretours.com. Get connected with us and your help, your prayers, your good wishes. We need it all. And like you mentioned earlier, your website is onelifetolove.org, two being uh, the, the number two, onelifetolove.org. I see your email addresses on there, Courtney at onelifetolove.org. They can donate there as well. I certainly hope that in the future I'll be able to work with you somehow, maybe through my work here at Liberty University. But I encourage the listeners to check out their websites, Inspire Tours and One Life to Love. And I always say to the guests on our program, is there any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners about your organization or, or maybe something that's on your heart before we wrap it up for the day? I really believe that our purpose, again, on earth is to use our gifts to positively affect others. So my encouragement to all of our listeners, if you haven't done so already, choose your gift and align it to its purpose, whatever it might be. And then the second thought is travel. Immerse yourself in different cultures. Surround yourself with people who are different from you. That is the only way that we as a human race will survive is if we can open our own doors and our own arms to people who are different. Third one, if you feel called, if you feel passionately about anything that I spoke about today, then again, please do get in touch. Please do support our work. That's a great way to wrap it up. Thank you so much for being with us on the podcast today, Courtney and Yugesh. I really pray that God will continue to bless your work there and the way you're helping all those children. It's certainly a wonderful work. And listeners, please check out these websites, onelifetolove.org and Inspire Tours. And hopefully some of you take your gifts and talents, just like Courtney talked about, and share your gifts and talents in a way that would help somebody else. With that, thank you so much, Courtney and Yugesh. I really appreciate you being on the program today. Thank you, Dr. Thank you, Dr. Dr. Nam. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Mental Healthy. Please be sure to subscribe for more episodes and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. You can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. We hope you join us next time for more on Mental Healthy. Music for this podcast is licensed under Creative Commons by Excel Music Publishing at freemusicpublicdomain.com.